Good evening and welcome to Who Corner to Corner. I'm one of your two hosts. My name is Jeff and I'm joined as always by my good friend Paul. Yeah, hello, that's me. I'm one of the other hosts, actually. The yeah, <laughs> I've just established there's two hosts and now you've implied there's more than. <laughs> the multi, multi-host of madness. Multi-dimensional yeah. podcasting, yeah. mate. That's what it is. So we're going back in time tonight, aren't we? We're looking back at the Seventh Doctor uh, adventure, Dragonfire, tonight. Um, And this is in preparation for what we've got coming out next week, which is our very special uh, (gasps) podcast episode, which is our chat with Sophie Aldred. Sophie yeah, Aldred. we, we did. We, we chatted oh, to Ace, life yeah, and uh, yeah, you were yes. well. We were both very excited about that, but it was particularly special for Fantastic. you, wasn't it? Yeah, my excitometer was up through the <laughs> roof. <laughs> so yeah, we uh, we had a really good time on that. So yeah, keep, keep an eye yeah, out, out for that next week. Fun. So this episode, then, um, it, it's uh, it's Ace's first episode, isn't it? Um, and also Mel, who's played by um, Bonnie, Bonnie Langford. Yeah, Bonnie um, Langford. Just, yeah, yeah. Uh, and her last uh, episode. Yeah. So, um, Paul, why don't you uh, fill us in on <gasps> the on the rough plot oh. for this episode for anyone who um, who hasn't wow. seen this one before? The plot. Such as it is. <laughs> no, actually, there is there is quite a strong plot to this one. So essentially what happens, for those who've never seen it before, the Doctor and, and Mel rock up in um, in a future version of B-Jams, which is an old history version of Iceland, the shop, and, uh, and they decide to buy lots of frozen food, including chips and peas and scampi, because it's really important. B-Jam. <laughs> Do you remember? Were you around with Beach yes, Jams? Yes, I'm nearly as old as you. Yes, the, yeah, the big old freezer yeah. centre. Yeah, we bought our first microwave from Beach Jams. So actually, that's what it is, mate. It is Beach Jams in space in the future. Did did you um, did you defeat a Dalek with it? What little little resolution humour for you all there? Uh... Indeed. So anyway, yeah, so they rock up to to fill up the TARDIS freezers with peas and chips and Yorkshire puddings and all kinds of lovely frozen food. And there they come across an old chum of theirs, Sabalom Glitz, who some of you may remember from the other far future story in the Andromeda Galaxy, which featured robots and some people from the Carry On films. But that's a whole other story (laughs) from a whole other Doctor. Anyway, back in B-Jams on Space, Bears, they they meet Sabalon Glitz, this this um you know bit of a rogue geezer. He's got a treasure map and he wants to find the treasure, mm. which is guarded by a mysterious fire breathing dragon. Ah, lo and behold, they all set off to find the treasure. But who yeah, will um, get there first? I don't know. To be honest, it's yeah, something Kane, like that. the 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 bad guy. Yeah. Oh, and there's Kane as well. Yes, uh, yeah, Kane, the he, he bad was guy. Good. Uh, he was he was so bad. He was good. Um, yeah, this is a sort of really no, no. Good. I mean, like he was a good bad guy. Um, this is a sort of um, a kind of a bit of a mashup of, of stuff with this one, isn't it? With the dragon and the and the ice world, and you know, it's kind of a bit bit sci fi and a bit fantasy. It's yeah, it's all kinds of things. I mean, on paper. The first level of it is a treasure hunt. You know, it's that it's that classic story. X marks the spot. He literally has a, a map like that, doesn't he? He literally has a map. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. And obviously, there are other people 
out to get the treasure for their own different ends bit of fun mm. but on the other on, on a secondary level it's also as you said jeff goodbye to one companion the lovely mel and hello to another companion the lovely yeah. ace and they couldn't actually be more no. different i think these two companions i mean i love bonnie langford's bits and i think she was horribly serviced by the character of mel there was there was nothing to it really i think it might her characterization might have been written on the back of Post, a packet postage. of Rossmans yeah. <laughs> back in 1982 or 3 or whenever it was she uh, she had a cracking scream on her didn't she she did and that's it and it's yeah. that kind of you know somebody in a production office in the 80s thought oh yeah doctor who companions mm. all they do is scream weren't they really good screamers you know back in the day when i was a kid and i think actually the only one who really really screamed was victoria waterfield everyone else kind of you know yelped a little bit but v- victoria was was ott and likewise mel was ott she screams at everything Oh my goodness! That was what struck me, is that she just shrieks. And the sad thing is that you can tell she's she's enjoying being there and, and you know, working with Colin and, and Sylvester. But, but the character... Character is awful. And this is the great thing about Big Finish, because Big Finish have done really yeah. good things with her character. But on TV, sad to say, we never saw that until, actually, I think, I'm going to propose this one. We never saw any depth to Mel until we got to this story, which is her mm. last story, I think. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I know it's her last story. What I think is this is the first time we actually saw any depth to her character on yeah. the telly. Am I making yes, sense? I, yes, I think so. Yeah. You yeah. sure? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I'm coming or um, going. So I, I've uh, we'll talk about Ace in a bit, the the lovely Ace. Um, and I made some notes whilst I was watching the episode, um, in in the fashion of yourself. Um, so the episode opens with Kane, um, and and a bunch of uh lackeys standing there who are going to get put lackeys. into um, <laughs> uh, Cybermen style freezing tomb type things or something or other, um. <laughs> now they actually stand there and they told <laughs> they tell these lackeys that they've been hired hired to strike fear and terror into people's hearts. Yes. That is their actual job description. That's their actual <laughs> job description. Yeah. Flick. I need people yeah, to do that. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you strike fear into someone's heart? Can you strike terror? Yeah, hired. Um so I quite liked all the stuff about liquid nitrogen here because it reminded me of one of the greatest movies of all time, which hadn't actually been made by this time this episode went out, but but there you go. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, you know, Kane, uh, you know, not freezing and stuff, uh, you know, and, and needing to, to stay cold was, was uh, quite a cool uh, idea, forgive the pun. Um, now, I've also written here, Asteroid Express card with a little crying laughing face. Asteroid Express yeah, card. I think when they were at the bar just after they've met Sabalon again, someone wants to pay on uh, yeah. Asteroid Express. I can't remember if it was the Doctor or, or someone. Oh, got good eyes. Um, got and good that eyes. made me think of a bit of a, an RTD-style gag that, uh, you know, it's the sort of thing he might have done, a bit of a pun like that, you know. Very yeah. possibly. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. And then I've got, it's a literal Iceland shopping centre planet. Um, <laughs> B-Jams. <laughs> um, and the... the Iceland bought out B-Gems, yeah, so you're not, no, you're not no, far I, wrong. I remember that, yeah. Um, 
So I've written here, the deep space freezer ship of food, uh, reminding me a bit of the 10th Doctor and Rose Big Finish story with the Ice Warriors, which is called Cold Vengeance with the Ice Warriors in. And uh, the pair of them end up on a, essentially uh, like an Ocado van in space with frozen food on it. And uh, they've ended up with uh-huh. like voice warriors frozen, and of course they start getting out and stuff. So that that element of it made me uh, think about that. Um, so, what did you think of this episode overall? I well, okay. So, if if I if you if you may indulge me, if you if if you may allow me to travel back through the mists of times as to when this story first aired, because I do remember it very well. I was taking my. Uh, GC GCSEs at the time, yeah, they were. Was it GCSEs? Yeah, some were, and some were O levels. I uh, yeah, that's it. I was the last year to take O levels, and the first one to do oh, GCEs, right. GCSEs. Yeah, they 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 experimented on my generation, mate. So as future generations could have the benefit. Anyway, I remember <laughs> it being out, but I also remember being really weirded out by this season anyway, right? Because it's, um, I mean, anybody sort of watching it now would think, what the hell is this? Because it is very, very strange. We start this season with Time in the mm. Rani, which some people say is a lot of fun. I'm not a big fan of it, but appreciate that it does have some good qualities to it. Um, I really didn't like it at the time, but I, I loved Sylvester McCoy. And his doctor throughout this season became, for me much more defined and and just better as, as he yeah. went along it's like he grew into the yeah, role in these first few his stories his performance uh in 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 dragonfire yeah felt more what i it's yeah. awesome but to be honest it it changes massively between time in Irani and paradise mm. towers which is you know the only the second story in this season so so by the time we get to dragonfire we have a really self-assured doctor he's not that's not to say he's not prone to the kind of slapstick comedy, and there's a fair bit of it in here, but it's it's tempered by the sense of a really keen intelligence. And McCoy was one of those, like like all of them, really, who just flips on a sixpence. You know, he he can he can go from being an absolute clown to someone who's deadly serious and will stare you in the eye and reach into the darkest depths of your soul to play chess with it. He would do that. And this is the story where I think we first start to see that. I think he's, he's really good. So when I watched this as a 16-ish-year-old, I think I was. So I was just doing my, yeah, just doing my exams and everything. And I remember getting to this story and thinking, wow, this is it now. The seventh Doctor has actually landed because we'd, we'd had we'd, we'd started with the start of the season with what I thought was an absolutely awful story. I didn't really enjoy Paradise Towers that much at the time either, though I mm, love yeah, it I now. Um, Delta and the Bannermen, I've never been a massive fan of, but I do kind of like it. It's still it's still got a very big size ten foot in in time of the time in the Rani to me. I think you all get a bit carried away with being on being on holiday in Wales and the story just completely runs away. But Dragonfly suddenly it's it's a really, really intelligent story. It's not without some flaws, I don't think, but when I first watched it, I thought it was absolutely epic. And I've seen it a few times. In fact, I've seen it a lot since. And I still think it's absolutely mm. epic. There are some weird moments which we'll come to, I'm sure. Um, but it's 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 just 
it's just one of those stories. It's, it's the story at the end of a season that suddenly seems to have righted itself. If you imagine we're on yeah. a boat and the boat's kind of been tipping left and right or starboard to port or whatever the terminology is, and suddenly we have a good hand on the steering device and we're going straight. What's that What's that word, the steering thing, the, the wheel, the wheel? We have a good hand on the, the, the tiller. Oh. That's what I'm getting at. We have a sudden hand on the tiller and it's straight ahead honcho to water's hitherto uncharted i would say yeah this this felt really like um yeah it was finding its feet and um you know i wonder whether i wonder whether part of that was you know ace coming in and and mel going well i i I think what it is it is that but that is where i I think this is the story where the influence of andrew cartmill is really now fully grounded he'd inherited the script for uh time and irani and i think he'd been he's gone on record a few times as saying he absolutely he disliked it it wasn't his cup of tea i think putting it mildly but it was already in production it had already been signed off and it was already you know being committed to so it had to be done he found um he found uh was it is it stephen white who wrote paradise towers he found malcolm cole who wrote uh delta and abandonment and of course he found ian briggs who wrote this story Dragonfire. and what they had they they kind of formed something a bit, a bit like a writer's room, room. Yeah. it wasn't quite a writer's room but it was at least a place where they all kind of, everyone kind of pitched in with ideas and we started to see how you know how those ideas would would be threaded not at this point but eventually they would get to be threaded throughout the whole you know the the, the remainder of of the, of the seventh doctor era and this is where we start to see the 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 embryonic phase if you like of what's come to be known as the Cartmill yeah. master plan at the time it wasn't any kind of Cartmill master plan it wasn't any sort of plan at all it was just ian briggs trying to and, and andrew Cartmill trying to trying to find some sort of history for this new yeah. companion that they'd kind of you know planned out together and decided that she's not going to be a screamer you know she is going to be an intelligent girl about town and she's going to be kind of contemporary and have some contemporary language about her which again we'll probably talk yeah. about but you know it was it, it suddenly felt to me you know when i first watched this that not so much finding his feet as suddenly having found its feet, you know, as being something now that I can actually proudly say, wow, I'm, you know, I'm, this is good. You know, I'm a, I'm a fan of this stuff. It's, it's, it's suddenly getting good, but it was only three episodes yeah. and we had to wait forever for the, the following season. And wow, the following season kicked off with Remembrance mm. of the Daleks. So, you know, you put these two stories back to back and, and it's, in, it's an incredible run of, of Doctor Who. You know that I don't think we we'd seen until that point. Certainly for my yeah. generation, anyway. It was, you know, I got really strong. I mean, the model work as we, you know, the, the image of Svartos and the ice world part of it. You know, it was, it was beautiful. Yeah. You know, for, for for ages we'd had really ropey, like. I don't know what they were, sort of cardboard cutouts yeah. of planets balancing on string. And this was something that was in, was it in 35 mil film in slow mm. motion and, you know, really beautifully lit. And it looked like it was, you know, it looked like it was trying to compete with yeah. the movies. You know, it couldn't really, but at least they were trying yeah. and they knew what they had to do. And they were starting to, you know, to, to, to make those, make those things, you know, put those practices in place. One of my them. notes was that I thought this one had great sets to it and, you know, a sense of, Beautiful sense. You know, trying yeah. to uh, you know stretch that budget and and yet you know lift up the production values on it. You know, and they sort of started it a bit with Colin, didn't they? Um, you know, there's that that great um, 
in a model shot of one of the space stations. Oh, the the Time Lords yeah. space station. Yeah, um, well, I think they spent all they, their budget. Yeah, on they that, did. Didn't they? You know, it looked great. Um, <laughs> they didn't have any money know, for anything so else. Sadly, <laughs> fair play to them for you know for trying to you know push Absolutely. push this as far as yeah. they could go. Um, I I really enjoyed this one. I think um, it, it, you know I liked the sort of bit of mishmash of you know the the dragon element, mm. the, the treasure uh, quest, and and uh, sort of. Um, you know the science fiction element to it as well. Um, we'll talk about um, Ace in a bit, but um, I thought Kane was a really good baddie. Uh, he, like I said earlier, he's yeah, quite sadistic, like yeah. um, and you know there's a bit where very, very sadistic. sadistic. Like he he has the, the one of the assistants wants um, the ship. Is it Sabron's ship? And he and he has it blown up just just yes, to spite do. just just because he can. You know. Um, and uh, yeah, he's he's quite horrible, really. Um, and then of of course, uh, it's quite an infamous moment, isn't it, when um, he gets a little bit hot and bothered, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. he does. Yeah, I mean that that was kind of freaky. And again, actually, I mean that, that was a great ending for me. I I love that. Ending. Yeah, that's a big fan of Raiders. That's of that's Stark, it, isn't it? Yeah, was, Doctor Who it was, doing it the same kind of effect. Um, and doing it pretty yeah. well as well. You can see <laughs> why um, Mary Whitehouse was probably uh, furious. Uh, I, don't, I don't think they cared about her. No, at it didn't point, look like it, no. <laughs> so there, there was lots of um, bits in here that, that I, I really liked. So some of my notes are things like when they leave the cafe, uh, the Doctor and, and Savalon, yeah. um, he... he um, he goes the wrong way, and then he then he doubles back to to follow Sabalon. And there's there's someone with a baby alien, and he goes to pet it, and it snaps at him. And um, you know, he kind of flinches. <laughs> Bit yeah, of improv, it's a lovely, that, lovely apparently. little moment there. Uh, I thought. Um, and then um, at the end of the first episode, I think we should talk about the literal cliffhanger. Mm, do we have to? <laughs> My, I've written. That is, that is pretty I've written, awful, isn't it? Why is he doing that? <laughs> No, nobody knows, right? If, if you, I don't know if you've. Um, cause I, the, when I watched this the other night, I I listened to the commentary, which I which I hadn't done before, and I mean, I you know, I've I've read up on this and all sorts, but um, Chris Clough, the director, he he's, he holds up his hands and says, "Yep, it was my fault. I don't know what happened." But it did. And Ian Briggs, the writer, is kind of like, this isn't what I wrote. It's like, I wrote that. They they, you know, they, they were going from a set. There was there was no way yeah. forward. There was no way back. The Doctor had to do something, you know. But whatever happened afterwards, that wasn't part yeah. of it, you know. And Chris is like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And what can I say? You know, we all got carried away. And But the thing is, it's like, what clearly, when you listen to the stories about it, they they spent time on constructing the 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 logistics of that well, yeah. that climb they down the cliffside you know what i mean like that there and you know yeah it, yeah and, they, and, it, and nobody stopped to think this doesn't make any no. sense or, or, <laughs> there's or nothing did, good about so this so far along that they were like we, we can't go back yeah now. that they couldn't stop it they, the motion was just going yeah. but i do i do remember this actually you know from a from a pretty good setup in in episode 1 and just suddenly losing losing the will to live at that literal yeah. cliffhanger because it was so awful, and, and and the actual cliffhanger, as scripted, was a few minutes before that, where the dragon, the biomechanoid, yeah. faces off against um, um, 
Ace and Mel. I nearly called them Mace. I nearly shipped them as Mace. That would be a thing. <laughs> there, might, there might be a Mace but, um, uh, fandom. <laughs> that might there, be a yeah. thing. But and, and there again, you see, that, and that's a good moment because there you get the difference between Ace and Mel because all she does is scream yeah. into Sophie's ear, almost literally deafening her. Yeah. But yes, that cliffhanger, there's, there's nothing to say about that, Jeff. It's awful. We know that. The production crew know it. The actors know it. We're all complicit in letting it happen, and it's but happened. It's, it's, so we just have to know, move it's on. It's got a charm uh, to oh, it. Oh, that's nice of you to say so. So um, I've got a note here. Did Clara show Glitz the way to the, to the doctor to help him? <laughs> she did appear in, in this yeah. story, didn't she? Later yeah. on in, yeah, this is one in, of her um, shadows or something. In time of the doctor, wasn't it? Yeah, it was one of her echoes. Yeah, yeah. Because um, he, he shows up to get the doctor, doesn't he? And in my uh, head canon, she's obviously showing him the you know the way to go. Um, yeah, where would the doctor be without Clara? Hey, he'd never picked up the TARDIS. No. He'd never found his way in Dragonfire and well, you whatever know, else. I mm. I stand by Clara being the 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 most important companion to the doctor. And whilst we're at it, that's interesting. Why don't we talk about Jen for a little <laughs> while? <laughs> so um, I've got a note here, another one. Uh, yeah. Metaphysics joke. I don't know why I've put that there, but there was oh, a, there was a joke in here that made me laugh because it was quite clever. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Is that is is that the part in part it two in part when two. the Doctor is trying to? It, no, no it, it is part two. Yeah. It yeah. is in part two when the doctor when they need a distraction. There's a guard at the door, and Glitz has got to get in behind him. So the doctor's got to distract the guard, and he's and he says something like, "Well, they they engage in some kind of um, existentialist yeah. discussion, yeah. don't they?" You know, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but did you write it I down? Wrote, <laughs> the chat with the security guard. I didn't get it, uh, and then I put me- me- <laughs> metaphysics joke. <laughs> um, so we'll we'll move on from my stupidity there. Um, and then there's I've also got a note I'm not sure Sylvester was expecting those sparks to be quite so big which is when they go and um, they try and blow up the uh, frozen ice bit or the door or something and all the sparks come out oh yeah and, they really they really knack yeah, him up you can see, he, see he, in uh, those days mate health and safety was somebody else's problem yeah <laughs> they didn't they didn't worry about it at all yeah just throw some yeah, you, sparks you, at the actors that'll be fine you know <laughs> it's really yeah, some of that stuff is uh, you think, oh my gosh, you know, nobody's. It wouldn't happen now, would it? No, yeah. Health and safety would have a field day. And um, also, the doctor must have had extraordinarily slippery shoes as well when he's in the <laughs> snow and the ice. So he's the only one doing the, doing the ice acting, isn't he? I think the others start to yeah, do it maybe is, yeah. tentatively and then just give up, recognise it's a studio floor. Yeah. But no, kudos to McCoy for but, going you know, all the way. Yeah, exactly. You know. He, he was, you know, he went full method with full that. Full method, and, uh, yeah, full you know, on with good, that one. Good for him, yeah. Um, so I've I've got that um, the the dragon looks brilliant. Uh, I really like, you know, the the, the giant sort of head, uh, you know, cara, carapace, carapace, yeah, I'll do. Right yeah, something like that. And then it's got the sort of pipey type um, ridge spike things down its back, and it and it looks very much like the alien. From the epon- the eponymous, eponymous film. film, that's the one. And then my first note for episode three is: it now turns into aliens <laughs> with the guards looking for the dragon and finding the girl. Brackets mute. mute. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So you know, there's there's obviously some um, some influence uh, influence there. Yeah. I, I think, yeah. Um, and if when I, was yeah. aliens out? You're a Cameron fan. You could you could you can tell me straight away. Aliens was 1984. Uh, oh, was a- it? A- a- 80. 
86, I think. 85, 86. Uh, 84 was Terminator. Uh, 86, yeah. 1986. Yeah, so they, they would have... So when did this go out? This went out in... I think this went out in 86. So it's, it's certainly the design. Or was it, or was it, it looks like the alien. Um, and it, and it's quite possible they'd seen aliens and you know took a bit of a you know influence from it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't um, I don't doubt it actually because. But I mean, you think about it again. Like aliens was such a big thing back in back in those days. I mean, it changed. Mm. You're again. I don't need to tell you this. You're a Cameron fan. You you know what he no. did for cinema. It, yeah, and that was one of the yeah. key movies that that did for it. He's he's still doing it today, well, and uh, know, you know. Fun. Sorry, go on. What, did I say that out loud? To sit <laughs> December twenty first. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I've also got a uh, sort of question here, which is why does Mel want to go? The the doctor doesn't want her to go, and it it was quite a, a sort of touching little end you know he he, he yeah, he didn't want her to leave did he um but it, it didn't feel clear why she wanted to go i guess the sort of the, the danger of it all you know got on a bit much. yeah i mean back in those yeah in, in the in the classic series few companions got a decent exit did they really you know well, it was really only sort of, joe and sarah joe, yeah yeah it? yeah there, there weren't there weren't many that got anything like a like a sort of properly built up carefully constructed exit and to be fair though i mean mel's entrance was a little bit chaotic as well because i've 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 always struggled to kind of reconcile this because she 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 appeared in trial of the time lord right and she was a future companion of the sixth doctor so when the sixth doctor put his case for his defense as the terror of the vervoid section of that story the, mm. We didn't know who the companion. He was already there with with Mel. She'd he'd already met her and done a few adventures, and they were they, yeah. you know they were sort of well in with each other by by that point. Um, but then she gets thrown back into the space station, the Time Lord space station, right? I.e., from the future to meet to pair up with the Doctor, the Sixth Doctor, who hasn't actually met her yet. He's only yeah. seen her the way we've seen her in a, in, in the Terror of the Vervoids. And she stays with him, presumably. And now she's yeah. left him without ever actually having met him, bizarrely. I, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a quite a clever idea for, yeah, for a bit of timey-wimey. That well, it was a good idea. Did, it's, it's a good idea, just quite poorly work. executed, I think. Yeah. You know, it's just, one of these um, things that is done for effect, you know, rather than with any real thought behind it. And again, this is a difference. Yeah. This is why Dragonfire is different. Because, 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 right? There's a scene in part one, right, where Ace is telling us about a bit about her history and how she got there. And there's this whole thing yeah. about, you know, Time Storm um, sort of swept me away. It's all is, a bit Wizard of Oz the, kind uh, of thing, right? Oh, you beat me to it. It was a Wizard of Oz nod. Or, um, oh, mate, it's more than Wizard a nod. It's more than a nod. Yeah. <laughs> it's an absolute proper head wobble, and, and not just in, in there either. Yeah. But but yes, yes, definite definite Wizard of Oz stuff. But this whole thing about the time storm and the explosion in the art room and all that kind of stuff, right? So what, one, of, one of the guys in the commentary says, says to Ian Briggs, did you, you know, how'd you worked out Ace's story, you know, aside from that, the fact she was going to, you know, end up being a pawn of Fenric and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, well, no, I hadn't, mm. you know, nobody had really at that, at that point but the difference is right so in when you compare to mel's story right so mel's kind of thing is she's a companion from the future and she knows a thing or two about yeah. computers right but that's as far as that and, ever and went so oh, 
she's from Peace from Peace Pottage, Pottage just and down Ace the is from Perryvale. That's amazing. But yeah. but the thing is, they went somewhere with Ace. They explored that backstory. Mm. It gave her reason for things yeah. to do in this story and in the fu- in future stories. It was always part of her character, and they added to it. They kept adding to it. They kept layering it on, and Sophie kept taking it and pl- running with it. And you can sense the two of them, Sylvester and Sophie, really going for this stuff with the with the yeah. with with the writing team just providing them fuel, just shoveling it mm. in, and they're going at it like a steam engine, you know, just down. Yeah, she, she really is the, you know, the, the first, you know, of the classic companions that had. What well, technically, she's the last arc. of the classic companions, isn't she? Really? Yes, I was going to say, <laughs> but she, she was the first writer well, of the tag. Uh, I yeah, don't know, mate. Uh, no, no I suppose Joe, Joe did. Definitely she? did. She, she yes, got, but know, again, yeah. you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't a constructed thing as such. It kind of. It kind of mm. evolved, as I think Ace's character evolved, you know, through the writing, through the performance of, you know, the the the, the, the actor and, and all that stuff, you know. Whereas, okay, now it's maybe a little bit more contrived at times, or or it has been a little bit contrived. I think definitely with Clara, it was attempted. You know, there was some sort of contrivance there, and for me, it didn't really go anywhere. And then it changed. And then just when you think that's good, it changed again. So whatever planning they had, it was all thrown out the window at some point. And Clara's had more reboots than my Jeff shoes. has left the chat. <laughs> <laughs> you started it. <laughs> no, I, I do but agree. No, you're on, right. I, um, Ace does have... Um, Clara is... Um, uh, oh, sorry. I'm <laughs> back on to Clara. Clara's a character of, I was going to say two halves, but it's more like multiple parts, really. It's more like multiple yeah, parts. Because yeah, because when she was with the 11th Doctor... You know, that's where you kind of see how important she is to to the Doctors across time. But yeah. she didn't really become a fully kind of fleshed out character until Series mm. 8, you know, when she was with, with 12. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I can see with Ace, um, you know, where, where Russell T. Davis took, you know, inspiration for Rose from and, and you know, the, the general mm. way, um, you know, his, his uh, you know, a reboot of the show it's not really the right word is it but you know where where a lot of the um influence came from you know she she's even um uh where did i make my note you know there's a lot of sort of similarities uh you know with with rose you know she's got a dead-end job and yeah um, you know wants wants more of life but also quite quickly you you realize actually i think she's unlike any of the other companions because she's really quite sort of feisty and you know she throws the milkshake on the customer and you know won't take any any grief over it and and she's obviously you know she's clever in, in a sort of, uh, you know, street smarts is such a lame term, but you know what I mean? Mm. She's, she's obviously not kind of, uh, you know, you, you know, a university educated character or, or something like that, but she, you know, she's, she's a, a, an ideal, uh, you know, fit for the doctor. And, and you can see why, um, you know, he, he takes her, you know, along at the end. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, you know, Sophie is just, she's, you can see again why people love her because immediately mm. she she owns the role. She's confident in it. Oh, she she's does. great fun, yeah. really kind of sparky and, and, and um, you know, feisty, like I said. Um, but also quite, um, you know, you kind of empathise with her a bit, you know, when, when she goes back to her room with, um, yeah, yeah. with Mel. Yeah. You know, you get the bit of the backstory. I love yeah, that scene. And, and it's quite, mm. sort of, quite you know, sort of moving, really. You know, she's been displaced from home and doesn't really know anything about, you know, you know, kind of what, what went on with it. Um, 
Mm. And um, I, one of my notes it was Ace, Ace is a feminist, love it. Uh, I can't remember quite why I, I wrote that, but uh, I thought it was cool. Um, and I noticed actually she had a Batman earring. Did, did you ever notice that? Yeah. <laughs> um, I did yeah, notice that. Um, yeah. So that that was that was quite fun. I mean, it's the wrong you know wrong comics brand, but whatever you know. Um, <laughs> um, but again, if but that that's Ace, isn't it? You know, she's she's eclectic yeah, like that. She's, it, she's you know she just collects yeah, badges. Yeah, and she things, she has know, so much personality. You know, with the leather jacket and the badges mm. on her and everything. And um, you, you know, when we talked with Sophie and, and people might have heard this before, or they can hear it on next week's podcast. Uh, Indeed, plug, they can. Um, you know how the how the role <laughs> came her way, and and you know there's quite a good story about that. I'm not going to spoil it and how she she Don't kind spoil of it. Uh, you know got involved with it all. Um, but yeah, Ace is you know she's just great, and um, uh, I I really uh, you know enjoyed her a lot in this and and in her subsequent yeah, ones. Fabulous. And I, I'm yeah. having watched this one again, and in no way being influenced mm. by having spoken to Sophie, I'm I'm really excited to, to see Ace coming back you know in the show oh, and definitely. Uh, you know yeah, yeah. we we've talked a bit about this before but um you know I read at childhood's end mm. which is the book that she wrote um and and which was before we knew she was coming back to the screens but that that was great to kind of catch up with the character again and and you know bring her into the modern era so yeah having her come back to uh, actually be on screen again is going to be great really looking forward to it it's fabulous yeah. can't wait so yeah overall i say overall yeah i really enjoyed this episode you know yeah okay, it had a literally ropey dodgy cliffhanger at the end of episode one i don't care you know it, it's it's no, quite charming either. you know it, it doesn't, doesn't spoil, spoil the story no, does I, it you know, you know uh, is there anything i didn't like about it no not really um I, I feel it. No, I, the same actually. I mean, you know, you can tell in a way that it's a season twenty-four story as opposed to a couple mm. of years on when they, you know, when the stories start to get really quite dark and and quite into Ace's yeah. backstory. They, you know, what happened to her in the past drives the stories that that we go through. But here, it, it, there's there's still a bit of glitz, you know, Sorry. literally. In their form of, <laughs> you know, Tony Selby. But I mean, you know, the sets are really brightly lit. Arguably, they could be a little bit darker, but it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't spoil it. There, there is a certain frothiness, mm. I think, to season 24. It is so lighthearted and it's so fun and it's so. It's kind of mixed, you know, like, like I said early, earlier, you go from Time and Irani to this. And there's a lot between them, but they're still linked. There's kind of an umbilical cord that goes from the first to the last story of this season. Yeah, well, you you can sort of see the you know the, the things are developing across it, and you know you said earlier mm. you didn't like Time and the Rani, and no, I watched it recently, you know, and I, I enjoyed it. I think I, f- I feel like you know almost everything we talk about, I'm like, yeah, it's great. I loved yeah. it, but I, you know, I do. And I, I even though like, I, do, uh, I tell you what I, I mean, we're, I know we're not talking about time in Irani, but I, you know, I, again, at the time I love, there's a certain energy about it that I still mm. enjoy, you know, because it seemed, I, I think, do you know, honestly with the, with, with the different titles at the start of the show, you know, they're very of their time. These, you know this exploding starfield, yeah. the swirling galaxy. You know those sort of early, early days yeah. 
um, computer graphics, you know, computer aided yeah. design. Literally, I, I think it took the guy like twenty thousand years <laughs> to to make that to make that frame by frame. You know, almost as long perhaps as it took the sculptor in Dragonfire to make that image of the that sculpture of the big lady with the big yeah. pants. You know, so it's and there are things like that. But you know, Time and Arani has has a weird sort of energy to it, which I really kind of latched onto. I think the script itself, oh my God, I think it's an absolute beast yeah. to get through. But the story's not half bad. The story is just like a standard Doctor Who with a with a nice edge to it. But it's I, I find the dialogue the most awful thing about it, and you can't make people say those things. But anyway, that that's that. Yeah. You, you know, the rest of the rest of the season kind of you know finds its feet, and by Dragonfire, it's there. Yeah, I just I really enjoy Dragonfire. I feel like I should say something, you know, criticize it and find something wrong with it. But why? I, you know, yeah, you you do. Do I need to talk about that? You can watch something and you can <laughs> analyze it and and find things that could be better but i enjoyed it and that's what matters yeah the, the, the same actually and and i know we kind of alluded to him as well but um kane you know played by edward peel now it's it's again with these kind of baddies edward peel decides to play it really straight yeah. down the line doesn't he you know he's he's underperforming you know he's underacting mm. he's 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 just you know he's dripping with yeah. menace Every I really word felt is measured and calm. A sadistic character, and you're right. That could yeah, easily have been really, quite, yeah, quite pantomime it. in a way. Yeah, it could have been totally pantomime, yeah. couldn't it? If you look at if you look at Richard Bryars as the caretaker, the, the chief caretaker in Paradise Towers, he he plays mm. it totally like mm. that. It's completely over the top. Although bizarrely, I kind of enjoy that as well. Yeah. I think it sort of suits the bizarreness and the weirdness of the story. Here, I think, you know, given that we're in a freezing cold environment, that Kane is a kind of vampire yes. creature and that he, he's, you know, he's, he, I think it's Ian Briggs describes him as a collector of lost mm. things. He has a hip, hypnotic kind of power, you know, it's sort of an, a, a pervading poisonous influence over yeah. people who are just looking for something to latch onto in yeah. their lives he's you know he's, he's a very modern day villain from that perspective he's you know this the, the, he's very much a psychopath you know in in that he's controlling he's manipulative and all he wants to do is as you said strike fear and terror into the hearts of people why don't know don't think it's ever yeah, really explained that, but in a way it doesn't matter my, he just wants yeah, to do it one of my other notes so cruel. Was, was um what was the point of his quest you know it, it wasn't yeah, really clear I, I, honestly i but i really don't know it's probably explained in there somewhere yeah. but i somewhere but i think i've i just look at other things sure. <laughs> it's never, Quite. my attention has never really no. been drawn to that i don't know why i mean he puts it in the middle of his he, you know when he finally gets hold of the dragonfire crystal he puts it in the middle of his console thing and and it does stuff but you know, presumably it was going to give him absolute power, but then you get that brilliant moment. Oh my God, this is another thing that almost uh, exemplifies the, the or, or typifies the Seventh Doctor's era. When Sylvester McCoy is on form, my God, mm. he's on form, and when he's got somebody to play off against, like like Edward Peel, they just that that scene in Part Three where McCoy is talking him through, or the, or the, the Doctor really, I should say, is talking him through 
not doing what he should be yeah. doing. You know, it's like it's like it's holding up his ghosts for him to see and face, confront, and in the end, he's talking him into being a failure. Yeah. So he's got no other choice really but to literally commit yeah. suicide. He opens the screen, he exposes himself to the sun, and yeah, we go all Raiders of the Lost Ark after he's pretty much killed everybody on yeah. the planet. So it's but but the and, and the mad thing is. I found out from listening to the commentary that the both of them couldn't really? stop laughing. They were corpsing throughout the whole thing. And Edward Peel says, he goes, if you look at my eye line, he says it's right up at the gantry. Sylvester McCoy is like three feet below him because he's such a tall guy and Sylvester's so small. But he says, I couldn't look at him because every time I did, I just cracked up. And it was the same for him. So they, they, there were many takes of that scene, but you'd never know no, it no, from, no, I didn't even, you know, from didn't watching as a viewer. That, no. It is just astonishing. It's, and we get that bit also just before that where um where where Peel is trying to take on Ace, isn't he? He's trying to get Ace to pick up mm. the coin. And sh- and again, like you said, this great thing with Sophie, you can see it in her eyes. You know, she's falling yeah. under, she's trying to fight it almost, but she's going with it. But at the end, you know, she she gives it up. She we we know she's yeah. in control all the time. Bilge bag, she says, <laughs> picks it up and you know, holds up a can of nitro night to threaten everybody with. That's why yeah. this is great. Yeah, it, it you know, just the uh, the impression that she made in just this one story, you can see why she's still who, where she is. All these years yeah, later. it's all there, yeah. isn't it? It's all there. Everything that happens to Ace and everything she does in stories, you know, that happen after this, the genesis mm-hmm. of it is yeah. all here. The core, the key components are all there. You know, she doesn't change who she is throughout her arc, but she finds out yeah. more about herself. She becomes stronger, but at her core, she is. She's one hundred percent ace from start, from start to finish, to finish. Yeah. and that is that is fantastic. Um, we were just talking there about Kane and his his I guess motivations, not and his 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 goal not being that clear, and um, but it, it not spoiling things, and it it's made me uh, think of Mission mm. Impossible Three. There is a point to this. So you haven't seen all of the films and you're missing out. I've seen the first two films. Yeah, you know this because I texted you. The first two are good. Admitting my shame um, last night when you were so excited, when you were jumping up and down I was, like I'm a, a huge fan of uh, at the latest the mission films. They are flick. incredible. And in the third one, which is written and directed by J.J. Abrams, yeah. this is where like oh. you, you've been going along in like... <laughs> no, no, see, okay. <laughs> so you've been going along in like... Yeah. Fifth gear in the second one, and yeah, then yeah, and then it cranks yeah, yeah. up to sixth in in the third one. But yeah. then they find a magical seventh gear, and then they just keep going up where wow. they like you know the, the mm-hmm. speed and the you know I don't know what my metaphors going yeah. here. But um, oh, Jay, it's a good one. Speed Jay related. Jay Abrams, don't just go with that. Uh, he um, he's quite an inter- he's a really good director, I think. And Alias was a great show. Um, I'm not sure his writing. Uh, it's mm. a little bit Moffat in a way, actually, where there's really, really great ideas that don't always pan out properly. Um, yeah. And it sort of happens in Mission Impossible 3, where they spend the mm. film chasing something called the rabbit's foot. Uh, and you get this absolutely incredible uh, action film that is laced with, uh, you know, a kind of a... Uh, human element where well, Cruz's character's wife has, has been taken and stuff and there's there's a bit of a um, jumbled time structure on it and stuff as well which is which is quite cool um, and then it gets to the end and uh, they've got the rabbit's foot back and Tom says to uh, uh, Morpheus um, he says uh, uh, you know what what was it and he says oh I'll tell you later it doesn't matter and you go what 
the whole film, you've been chasing this thing and you get to the end and they don't tell you what it is, but it just, it literally doesn't matter because the stuff with the characters and, and the action is more important than what this actual thing is, you know. That, that, okay. that would piss me off. But you, you, well, it probably would have done me normally, but after such a, <laughs> honestly, you've got to watch it after such a good... After they've thrown all the all, all the sweets at you, all the eye candy that you can possibly feast on, yeah. you're so stuffed with it all that you don't notice these minor yeah, details. because you've just had yeah. so much good stuff coming before that. So We, we should do a movies podcast, or we, maybe we should do some movies episodes, because I think some of these stories, because I think a lot of movies you and I enjoy are the same. Yeah. But I think there's also a bunch of movies where we are complete opposite ends of the spectrum, my friend, and we have some interesting discussions yeah. mining that middle ground for sure. Yeah, maybe, maybe well, we have talked about it before, movies corner to corner, but we, we, we did. haven't done yeah. it yet. Movies yeah. corner to corner. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe sometime that means buying another subscription. Yeah, it does. Though, yeah. So kind of not sure the funds yeah. can, can reach that. <laughs> Squeeze into yeah. this one or the other one, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, we're off topic, yeah. aren't we? Wildly so this, off topic. This was great watching this again and, uh, you know, d- discovering I really Ace I again. Always and, uh, this. Yeah, like you said earlier, mm. you know, Mel had a, you know, this was probably her, you know, best kind of character stuff. And actually, when she left, I did oh, think, it really was. I kind of don't want her to go again. I've yeah, really enjoyed it. Do you know again. what? There's, yeah, yeah, definitely. And, I'm, I'm sort of dipping into our chat with Sophie, actually, but I'm just going to say, you know, I, that that scene, well, all Sophie's scenes with Bonnie are fantastic mm. in here. They really are. You know, it's, every time I watch this, I just think, if only we'd had a little bit more with, with Mel and Ace, because it's almost like they bring the best out of each other in some yeah. ways, you know? And I don't know whether it's because of that or whether it's the writing or whether because Bonnie was more into it by then, but Mel just feels more like an actual proper yeah. character in this story to, to me. It, even to the point where she doesn't scream at something, right? There's a, there's a part, there, there's a sequence in part one where the little girl, you know, the little girl in, in her um, Bugsy Malone, Bugsy... Is it is Bugsy Malone, isn't it? So Bonnie Langford was yeah. in Bugsy Malone as a seven-year-old, and the little girl in Dragonfight is wearing her Bugsy Malone outfit that she had lying around, apparently. It's true. It's a true story, right? Anyway, the little girl is wearing a sort of scary mask, and she pulls Mel's trousers or something. Mel turns around. She's about to go, and then she stops almost like she catches herself. She stops not because she realizes it's a child, it's almost like she starts because she realizes I've screamed a little bit too much. At least that's how yeah, I read yeah. it, which to me is an intelligent mm. decision born of the character. Now, just the previous story, Delta and the Bannermen, I think it's end of part two. Is it part one or part two? I think it might just be part one, actually, when the, the alien child hatches out mm. of the egg. Now, she knows it's an alien, right, in the egg, and she screams the place down when it pokes its little green face through the slime. And it's like, for crying out loud, you know, this character has been travelling with the Doctor for years yeah. now, right? She's faced off all kinds of villains and aliens, and yet she still bloody screams, and that's no slight on Bonnie. That's entirely down it's, to it's the writers yeah, deciding directed, yeah. that that's a good mm. idea for yeah. her to do. 
you know, and this is the problem I think that Doctor Who had in the 80s. It still had one foot very firmly in the past, but it wasn't like it was actually the real past. It wasn't like the, the real sort of Doctor Who that happened. It was somebody's yeah. idea of what they felt happened. They all used to scream in the old days. Yeah. No, they I didn't. I was going to say, it's one of those things that somehow becomes kind of public and common perception and yeah, knowledge. Yeah, it does. You know, you know and it's not and it's actually true. true. It's like a, it's like a modern myth. You know, they all scream in Doctor Who. Well, no, they don't. There are some screamers, but you know, things are starting yeah. to get a little bit more sophisticated. You know, including the audience in the eighties, and yet they still decided on occasion to give them this stuff. And that moment in Dragonfire, where Mel decides not to scream, I don't know if it's scripted, I don't know if it's improvised, and I don't know the reasons behind it. But in my head, I read it as something like an intelligent mm. decision to not scream. Therefore, giving a little bit more depth to Mel's character, and I know I'm reaching for it here, <laughs> right? But nonetheless, that's yeah. what I feel. And and there's a sort of more, there's a more measured performance yeah, in Bonnie really good, throughout yeah. this you know and she lets an ace takes mm. charge Mel lets her take charge because actually I think that's Mel's character she she doesn't seem to be great at taking mm. charge she she's quite easily yeah. led by other people but at least in this one she's led by she's led by ace who's a little bit rogue actually quite a lot rogue you know she'd go around blowing things up and, and Mel seems to thrive in that she seems to really enjoy being ace's good yeah. buddy you know what I mean like ace is going to teach them stuff I mean she's still sort of acts as a bit of a moral compass to Ace at times, you know, but she's not, you know, that, that story when, um, in, in, in the bedroom, when, when Ace tells, uh, tells Mel all about her, you know, when, when she got, we referenced it a little while back, but, um, you know, Mel, Mel, I think in the hands of any other writer would be quite judgy at that, but she's not, you know, she, she lets Ace say a piece. She, she, she seems to empathize with her. And, you know, from, from then, from that moment onwards, enjoys yeah. her company. And I would have loved to have seen maybe just one or two yeah, more stories. I, I felt the two like, of yeah, we, we could have together, had a, you know? a bit more. But, um, yeah, that, that thing of, uh, you know, what people think uh, and what mm. they believe of, of something that isn't necessarily right. You know, it's like think, thinking about, you know, the Cybermen coming out of the water in the Thames or something. <laughs> you know, we, we, all, we all know it was the ice yeah, it's that kind of thing isn't you know? it uh, yeah they terrified me yeah. when i was a kid yeah that's because yeah. you were four years old yeah. and, and it was <laughs> not being funny but they were still made yeah. of rubber and you could still see the eyes and the teeth yeah. behind the mask yeah. you know it still looked like a rubber mask anyways anyways so, but yeah i mean it's another thing isn't it because the creature in here like you said it's you know some i mean again whenever i i read the interviews the the backstage stuff and i was listening to the commentary on it you know the chris clough again is like oh that creature you know it was awful it didn't do what it was supposed to do it you know the the guy we got turned out to be a lot shorter than the guy we'd originally <laughs> hired so the leggings looks and it's like no, it, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter it's like you said jeff sometimes it just doesn't no. matter you know the story is good enough and enough of it comes through the production to to just let yeah, me enjoy I, it. I, I firmly believe that if you enjoy it, whatever it might be, that that is really what matters. And this, this, yeah. this especially in yeah. Doctor Who, especially in classic Doctor Who, because everything wobbled. Yeah. And this thing about finding fault, or you know, what could have been and what what should have been, and you know, yeah, that's, that's not for me. <laughs> well put, well put, mate. You know, I I have I have a degree. I have yeah, uh, boiled it down to that's not for me. See, because I, I watched this when it came up in a Blu-ray collection, and I did a little uh, thread okay. on it, uh, which I th I'm just trying to see if there's anything on there that's interesting that we haven't talked about. Actually, actually, my wrap-up 
from that was from my from my tweeted thread in on the 14th of August 2021 is that I remember in 87 going from the embarrassment of time and the Rani to the sheer jubilation on Dragonfire's climax. After a shaky start to its 24th season, my favourite show seemed to be gaining an intelligence and a new energy that would surely see it continue long into the future. That's what I, that's well, you what I were, tweeted out at the at You the were time. half right there. It didn't continue long into the future, sadly. It didn't continue long. Why well, you say that? I, you know, that kind of, um, that vibe continued in yes, the new that, adventures. Yeah, kept true. the show alive, yeah. kept it interesting to all, you know, the sort of growing adolescent fans mm. when they reached their 20s and beyond. And some of them even went into TV yeah, because well, of yeah. it. You know, Paul Connell and obviously Russell T. Yeah. Davis and Stephen Moffat, a few of those, yeah. you know, they all, they all went along those lines. And it's, it's largely because of, what started in yes, this story, I, so. I would say. Yeah. You know, yes, there was Doctor Who before it, but this is when we suddenly saw that it could be, it could have a yes, contemporary it, it vibe to it. And, it yeah. could have modern characters, you know. And at the end of this, at the end of this this era, we 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 get something, you know, we get a story that is partly set in a in a in a council estate, a block mm. of flats in Middle London or something, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, it's it starts yeah, here. It mate. really you does. Know, the yeah. modern era of Doctor Who starts right yeah. here. In this story, in B jams in space. <laughs> That's what I'm going to close on, right there. Oh, did you say we had some tweets about the episode? Yes, not so many, but we do have a few. So we've got um, who's this here now? Sixty second who? Who's at sixty sec who? Who says? McCoy doesn't overdo the slipping on ice. Everyone else <laughs> underdoes it. Yes, quite right too. The dragon is amazing. Capital letters. Then we get dot, 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 and then from the neck up. <laughs> the little girl and her mother really add nothing. The pre-recorded info dump part of the plot needed breaking up. Now, ah, do you know what? I've got to, I've got to just pick this one up here. The little girl and her mother really add nothing. I, I did, I disagree with that. Ace and what she's like. Well, I, I don't know if. I, yes, maybe, maybe they do. But I think what it is, it's like. Um, I don't know. I can't put it into words. There's okay. So there is a really nice sequence which I think is only in the extended version. I think it's one of the scenes that got cut. There's a lot of scenes in this that got cut, and it happens. I think in part three when the little girl is sort of wandering around um, the space station, and it's all, all everyone's been killed or they ran away or whatever it is, and she wanders into Kane's um, sanctum. You know, with those weird sort of Emerald mm. City Cathedral pipes over his sarcophagus, and just the just the sheer innocence of having that tiny little frail girl there in the realm of this monster is really quite mm. chilling. And there's a part where he wakes up, his the lid on his sarcophagus rises. He's he sort of sl- slides his legs out, and she's right there with her teddy bear, kind of smiling at him. And the way it's lit and the way Edward Peel plays it, and all he does is just kind of stare at her for a few seconds and she stares back at him with a big cheesy grin. My heart was in my mouth for a moment right at that scene. And I know she doesn't get killed or eaten or anything like that. You don't know. But the terror, the iciness, the coldness, and I think it's that sort of thing that, you know, when you get that, that picture of innocence 
juxtaposed with the absolute cold evil of someone like Cain, that's when these things yeah. add something. You know, they don't add anything in terms of character. They don't really add something in terms of plot. But in world building, in giving you, maybe even if it's just a subconscious vibe that changes the texture or the color of the story in a small way, it all, it all adds up. I think, and that's well, it, what yeah. that's what the little girl it, yeah, does. It doesn't that. have to always add something. You know, does does that bit of the doctor uh, petting the little baby alien and it snapping it? You know, exactly. That's it. You can take those um, things out, and the story still continues. So, the plot isn't changed, and all that stuff. Have you stuff, ever seen? You know, it still have happens. Have you ever seen Almost Famous? It's Cameron Crowe film. Um, I haven't it's, it's seen a good that. Film. I haven't seen it in a long time, but there's a there's a bit in it that always sticks in my head. So it's about um, a boy uh, who goes on tour with a band, famous band, and starts writing for uh, Rolling Stone. And um, I, I can't remember which character it is, but they're discussing. I think it's like a Marvin Gaye song or something, and they're talking about the song. And there's a bit in it when he goes "woo" or something like that, and they say <laughs> that's the bit that makes the song. You know, it's it's that little bit and. That actually always stuck in my head because it's so true. You know, when you're hearing mm. a song, it can be, you know, a great song and then something happens in it, a little bit of guitar flourish or vocal thing or something like that. That, yes. that just for some reason takes it up a bit. And and it's yeah. these moments in TV and film are the visual equivalent mm. of, of those bits in a song. You know, and I, I like, totally there's, there's a U2 yeah. song where if you listen really carefully, you can hear the drumsticks get dropped in in the backing track, and and then it's just cymbal just for a moment before he's he's obviously picked up his uh, you know replacement drums and, and carried on. And of course, you know they couldn't they didn't have to leave that in there, but it's been left in there because it adds something. You know, it does. Uh, yeah, it gives it a does. bit of character does, to the yeah. thing, doesn't it? So that almost yeah. famous moment. If anyone listening has ever seen that film, it's a great film. Uh, they'll they'll know what I mean. Um, and and I th- I shall I mm. shall look out for that one. So we have um, we have a couple more to. Okay. I'll just read a couple more out here actually because this is an interesting one. Given what you were saying there, which is from uh, James H dash Long COVID sucks. Yes, indeed it does. James at FitGeek underscore UK who says I have one pet hate with this story that I don't expect anyone else to really share which is the low temperature physics is really painful for me to sit through. The story is great, but it's a major struggle to avoid focusing on the errors, <laughs> which is which is interesting given what we were what we were kind yeah. of talking about just there, isn't it? But you know, for some people that is yeah. the case. Yeah. You know, I, I know on a few things I watch, I, I do sometimes find it difficult to get mm. past those. Most things I can yeah, just get past it. Just, and if yeah. I love it enough, I, I don't you can care. Suspend but it, yeah. On occasion, these things can get yeah. you, can't they? Yeah. Gremlins, just like that. <laughs> We've also got Seventh Son, um, who is at Melis107, who came back and said, It's great! Second best in S24. Second best, Melis? Second I best? What their first best I'd is. Say it's the best, but I wonder yeah. what the first best is. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, second, uh, Seventh Son at Melis goes on to say, Great monster, uh, quotation marks, exceptional villain, glitz, ace, the face melt scene. I watched it in one sitting last time. Thumbs up emoji from me. <laughs> excellent Brilliant. thank you very much there so yeah interesting interesting but yeah definitely a favorite of yeah, mine jeff I, i've I loved really it since 1987 six or whenever yeah. it was it went out and i still love it just yeah, as much I, now. i'd happily rewatch this one again so yeah it's been great going back in time and uh, uh we, sh- we should uh, re-watch another classic uh soon so 
Thank you, as always, dear listeners, for tuning in and uh, uh, tweeting in. Thank you. Um, stick with us, as always, because we've got some great stuff coming up. And next week's episode will be our Sophie Aldrin mm. chat. Um, and then we'll be not back soon with uh, uh, more episode yeah. reviews, more guest chats, um, and a lot more as we explore the Hooniverse from one corner to the other and beyond. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. Look at that. Mic drop. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Well done. Brilliant. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you See next you time.